What's going on, everybody? And welcome to episode 31 of the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton, flying solo tonight, but I have an awesome interview lined up with a fellow Blue Wire Hustle podcaster, Shanavaz Makani. I had him on a few weeks ago to talk Rangers when I was doing my MLB season previews in the month of May. But Shanavaz is back to talk NBA playoffs. We do a deep dive into all of the matchups in round two, plus talk a lot about the Mavericks loss. The Mavericks are Shanavaz's team, and he had a lot of thoughts about how the season ended for the Mavs and also a lot to look forward to this offseason, both good and bad things. So make sure to check Shanavaz out on Twitter at Mr. Makani, M-A-K-H-A-N-I, in his podcast called Metroplex Mania, at Metroplex Mania on Twitter, that talks all things Dallas and Texas sports. So sit back, relax, listen to this interview between Shanavaz and I, and then I will be back after with my craziest number of the week. Well, Sean of us, thank you so much for joining me. It's a uh, second time coming on. We did a Raider, uh, excuse me, a Rangers preview back in May. We'll probably have to revisit that at some point. You might not be just like I said before we started recording, it might be too fresh to talk about the Mavs loss and it might be too fresh all season to talk about the Rangers, but thanks for coming on with me. Absolutely. I'm anytime. Thanks for having me. So Pat and I haven't done too much NBA, like I, like I mentioned. And as people know, we've been doing a lot of M- MLB stuff. But I wanted to do a playoff episode. And I actually think this is a really good time for it because as we're recording Tuesday night, game one of Jazz Clippers starts. Let's start there and look back. And Shanavas, as a Mavericks fan, make sure to go check out his podcast, Metroplex Mania, which covers all Texas sports. Can you just tell us a little bit about what losing to the Clippers was like and what you think their ceiling is in this playoffs. Yeah. So losing to the Clippers, I mean, before this series started, I thought we'd lose in six, to be honest. So I I didn't expect a win. Um, It's more heartbreaking this year, just because of the fact that we were up 2-0. We dropped every game at home. We were up 3-2 with a chance to close it out at home again for the first time in 10 years to win a playoff game on our home floor. And we still couldn't get it done, even though I was in the building as well. (laughs) Um, And then just laid a goose egg in game seven, other than Luca, Um, you know, so losing to the Clippers, it's never fun, especially, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier. There's nobody who's really a Clippers fan, right? I mean, I feel like LA is, is Lakers territory. Um, You know, you're either a Kawhi fan or, or a PG fan and and you kind of just follow the player uh, more so than the team itself. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it sucks losing to the Clippers. Um, I'll give them credit, though. Tyron Lue made a hell of an adjustment in Game 7 against the Mavericks, um, you know, and, and really all throughout the series. Because if you remember early in that series when Ivica Zubak was playing, Luka was torching Zubak and getting everything he wanted on, on pick-and-roll switches, um, you know, and, and easily driving to the lane. Tim Hardaway Jr. got hot uh, just catching those kickout passes from Luca And Tyron Lue basically made the adjustment to bench Patrick Beverly and bench Zubak and just play a real small ball lineup um, with a bunch of shooters around Kawhi and Paul George. And the Mavericks had to 
try to keep up and play zone defense and got torched from the outside at the end of the series. Um, so I'll give Ty Lu a lot of credit um, for making those adjustments. Their ceiling, I mean, I think their ceiling is still the same as it was last year. I think this is a title contending team. Mm-hmm. I think with, you know, you've got a top three, four player, however you want to rank them in Kawhi Leonard. And I think he showed um, in game seven that he's still a top three player and he's totally arguably the best two-way player in the NBA still the way he locked down Luca, even, you know, switching on pick and rolls. I mean, he, he was on Luca the entire game, even though Luca put up 47, Um, you know, I, you have a guy like that. Paul George looks better than he did last year and you know, the play, all the playoff P uh, you know, is now on Porzingis instead of yeah. uh, Paul George, unfortunately. Um, but he looks good. And and the guy that, that I actually, I was telling my brother-in-law this at the game on Friday, the guy I hate the most on the Clippers is Reggie Jackson. Mm. For some he reason. He was lighting it up. It, and it to me, it's just like, man, like this, he can't, he doesn't defend well, in my yeah. opinion. He doesn't have great ball handling skills, but he can shoot the crap out of the ball. And it's it's ridiculous um, because at the end of the day, a team like the Mavericks who have as many de- defensive deficiencies as they do and have to go double team Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, it's an easy outlet pass yep. to a guy like Reggie Jackson. Um, so I think if all their pieces are working together, they're a title contending team. Will that happen against the Jazz? We'll find out. Yeah, that, that's such a good point about Reggie Jackson because when everybody was going after Rick Car- Carlisle and saying that he was no longer the man for the job. You, you game plan all you want against Kawhi, against Paul George. You don't expect Reggie Jackson to be shooting the way that he does. I think you could arguably say that Rick Carlisle, Rick Carlisle I'm having trouble with that name, did an excellent job coaching. I don't, know, I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I think he coached well throughout the series. I thought he made adjustments well. And until game six, he did a pretty good job limiting both Leonard and George. Do you agree? Yeah. I, I mean, I think at the beginning of the series, the Clippers were caught off guard because I don't think they expected Luca to be as hot as he was. Totally. Um, totally. And I, I think for them, they, you know, Luca, you, you know, if, if you can find the clip everywhere, I mean, it was on Twitter and it was my favorite clip from the series was uh, when Luca backed down Pat Beverly and, and hit a, you know, hit a fadeaway over him and, and yelled at him, telling him he's too small. Um, you know, and, and I think right at that point, uh, you know, Kawhi, you know, the, everybody was saying, well, why isn't Kawhi just sticking on Luka the entire game? Yeah. Right. And I think the Clippers were fine with Luka, um, you know, going off on them. But when Tim Hardaway Jr. got hot, Dwayne Finney Smith yeah, got it hot. It was just him going off. Yeah. At that point, they were like, we got to lock down Luka and let's let everybody else beat us. And yeah. I think Carlisle had the same mindset. Um, you know, as a, and I've gone through this a lot the last few days. You know, Carlisle hasn't won a playoff game in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at some point in time, there's accountability for that. Uh, but I think with the roster that he's given to be a five seed, especially through all the COVID issues that the Mavericks went through this year, through all the injuries, the failed Josh Richardson experiment, um, I think Carlisle still did a great job coaching. I, I just think the Clippers are the worst matchup for the Mavericks. They up and down that roster. That's the way had the Mavericks played Denver, um, you know, if the Clippers hadn't tanked the end of the season. I, you know, I could they have won possibly? I mean, I don't know uh, without Jamal Murray on that team, but you know, the Clippers have always matched up well against the Mavericks, and Carlo did the best he could. I totally agree. So, talking about adjustments, small ball that's everything I wanted to get into. Jazz Clippers starts Tuesday night. Mike Conley is out for game one at least, which has huge implications. 
but I am so curious to see specifically how much time Zubak is going to get because him versus Gobert, Serge Ibaka, I didn't check right before we recorded. I don't know if he has a timetable for return yet. If the Clippers decide to go small ball, I can see them doing the exact same thing and then just torching Utah down the stretch because as good as Gobert is around the rim, the Clippers don't have to get to the rim to be effective. That's what makes them such a dynamic team. So who's going to guard Kawhi? Can they go three ball for three ball? And I think they can. And then it's just going to be on Ty Lue to make all those adjustments that you already mentioned. He has shown that he can be very good at, and he's done that, and that's why he's the head coach. But I'm so curious if the Clippers are going to go small to just completely eliminate Rudy Gobert from the conversation because that is pretty much the only way they can – they're only going to be able to get shots up around the perimeter. Nobody can go against Gobert in the paint. Yeah, and and I I agree with you that you know, if the Clippers go small, it's going to be really tough. But I feel like Utah is a much better defensively equipped team than the Mavericks were, right? Um, I think the Jazz were top five in defense and top three in offense this year. I mean, there's something ridiculous like that. Um, you know, they're they're a very, very good team. Um, and, and I think even if they go small, uh, Gobert's got enough movement and enough lateral speed to catch up to shooters on the outside. That'll be the question, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think the key in the series for Utah is going to be Bogdan Bogdanovich. I mean, he's, you know, when he was in Indiana, he was criticized as a, as a lousy defender. He's always a guy who can knock down shots, but he's played some really, really good defense down the stretch. Him and Joe Ingles have really teamed up at that kind of small ball power forward position for, for Utah to really, um, you know, kind of anchor uh, the other side of the floor where Gobert isn't. Um, in terms of who guards Kawhi, it's got to be Donovan Mitchell. If I'm if I'm Quinn Snyder, I'm putting Mitchell on Kawhi the entire game, and I'm letting Paul George and I'm letting, you know, Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, whoever else the Clippers want to throw out there, I'm letting them beat me because Kawhi is going to get his. Um, you know, I and I think there's something to be said about um, having trying to tire Kawhi out. I mean, that's what Kawhi did to Luka Doncic against the Mavs, right? Is he just wore him down through three quarters. And in, in the fourth quarter, Luka shot the ball terribly. If Mitchell can do that to Kawhi, uh, I think there could be a surprise here. And, and you could see the Jazz pull this one off. Yeah, I, I'm going back and forth as we talk about it, because I was going to say at the beginning that it's a relatively similar matchup. Utah is just the better team. But because they have better weapons around Mitchell. You can throw it over to Ingles. You can throw it over to Bogdanovich to make the shot, whereas you can't count on somebody like Tim Hardaway Jr. to make it every single time, even though he had a good series. I still take Clippers, and I think it's going to go seven because I think they're going to wear Kawhi down exactly like you said. But I'm really ex- – this is one. This is probably the matchup that I'm most excited for because it's going to be a ton of scoring – but it's going to come down to which defense is going to make the more important stop. And it's unbelievable how much of an impact Donovan Mitchell has on the jazz. You saw it in the Memphis game where the sky was falling when the Grizzlies took game one, Donovan Mitchell came back. There was weird drama. There was something strange going on. All those reports about the, the medical team sitting out Mm -hmm. Mitchell that kind of just got swept under the rug and nobody's really talked about it since, which is odd, but yeah, the man M- Mitchell versus Kawhi is going to be a a nasty matchup. Ton of offense. Yeah, and and Mitchell is somebody. I read this the other day, and it, it just clicked for me as soon as I read it. And if you 
if you're an NBA fan, you'll kind of understand it as well. Uh, Mitchell is, is Dwayne Wade with a three-point shot. Ooh. I mean, that's, that's what Donovan Mitchell is. And the fact that he's just, he's getting better. I mean, the crazy thing, Emma, this was a team, the Jazz, that they were about to break this whole roster up last year. Um, when Gobert and Mitchell were not getting along yeah. after the whole COVID issue. This, as a Mavs fan, I was like, let's go after Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I know Mavs fans wanted Rudy Gobert as well. Um, this was a team that was on the brink of just blowing it up until Mitchell and Gobert sat down and said, you know what, let's do what's best for the team. Um, let's work out our issues. And, and here they are, yeah, you know, best with a chance. season team in the league. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I think the key, you know, like you said, right. Clippers in seven, I can see that happening. If Utah's bench, if Jordan Clarkson has the kind of series that Lou Williams has had for mm. the Clippers in the past, I don't know how the Clippers stop that. I mean, I don't, do you put Rondo on Clarkson? Do you keep switching Beverly onto him? I mean, I think Utah's got a lot of weapons. Um, Clippers got hot against the Mavs and the Mavs we've talked about it are a bad defensive team, you know, when it comes, when it comes to outlet passes um, on the wing for three pointers, Utah's a fantastic defensive team. Um, The Clippers aren't going to get as many easy and open looks as they did. Uh, against Dallas, they're going to have to hit those, which early in the series against the Mavs, they didn't. And that's how they lost three games. Exactly. Yeah, that that's perfectly sums it up. I think the Clippers have the harder defensive slate because guys like Clarkson and Bogdanovich are much better shooters than who they've had to deal with so far. But the Jazz defense has to deal with Kawhi. And mm-hmm. if those shooters get hot late, which they did in game six and seven, then I think it's game over. And I think that's what's going to happen, and it's going to be seven. And Kawhi just looks like a different animal right now. He, I mean, this he is, just this refused is, to let the Mavericks win. It was it unbelievable was, to watch. He bullied us, you know, game six and game seven. I mean, he absolutely torched us. Yeah. He, that was – I mean, it was a miraculous performance. I mean, a, even as a Mavs fan, I mean, we're sitting there watching, like, this guy is crazy. I mean, as, you can play as good a defense as you want on him, but he's going to hit his shots. And if he plays like that, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, man. I'm excited for that one. Let's shift to uh, an interesting offensive versus defensive scheme here. Bucks Nets. This was a pretty heralded one too. Bucks are up two nothing. Is it over? Nets are up two nothing, right? Yeah. Sorry, did I say? Sorry, Bucks? Okay. Yeah. Nets are I was up like, two nothing. Like, did I misread the score last night? <laughs> no, no. One twenty-five eighty-six. I think was the score Monday night. Nets just absolutely dominated from the beginning. The key yeah. to me. Is, is the bench players, honestly, as much as going to be said, KD is KD, we know that. But I, I'm going to ask you straight up, is this series over two games in? It, it was over before it started, in my Ooh. opinion. I, I, and look, I, I love Giannis. You know, I, I think Giannis is a top six, seven player in the NBA. Um, but the limitations of that roster, after giving up what they did to get Drew Holiday, giving up, you know, cap space to sign Middleton and, and, um, keeping, I mean, Middleton's been awful. Middleton has just been a train wreck this postseason, um, especially against the Nets. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions around Budenholzer, you know, mm-hmm. not making adjustments against the Nets, but the Nets coming, I mean, this was a team that, that on, on paper is the, one of the best offensive teams we've probably seen in NBA history, in history right? You've got yeah. three of the top five scorers in my mind in, in the NBA, uh, but defensively they were awful. I mean, it was more of just, can they outscore opponents? And now they're locking people down. I mean, they are playing phenomenal defense. Um, I, I think a lot of credit goes to Steve Nash, the adjustments he's made. But 
when you've got Kevin Durant who looks to be Kevin Durant pre-Achilles injury, it's it's going to be very, very difficult to beat them. And they're doing this without James Harden, which right. is is amazing. I mean, Landry Shamet was hitting big threes last night. Nicholas Claxton, who was an afterthought draft pick for them uh, when Kenny Atkinson was coach, I, I mean, he's putting up big numbers. Blake Griffin seems rejuvenated. Um, and they're doing this without their defensive anchor, Jeff Green. Mm-hmm. It, it just, I don't see how Milwaukee without steady production from Chris Middleton pulls this out. And when you stack it up like that, Brooklyn still isn't, isn't even at full strength. They're not even exactly. reaching the potential that they have. I don't think Milwaukee gets swept. I think they get it to, to maybe six. I'm going to lean six, Brooklyn in six. But what really stuck out to me, just looking at the box score the next day, Portis had six. He was one for five from the field. Bryn Forbes had 10 points off the bench. Going to Brooklyn now? Mike James had 10 points. Claxton had four, but he also had four rebounds. Perry had eight. That, you're just not seeing that production on Milwaukee's side. And then when you have to deal with the resurgent Blake Griffin, I watched – I didn't watch the dunk live. You know what dunk I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yep. I, I mean, it's like 2016 version of Blake Griffin. Where did that come from? It's Lob City Blake. That's it's, what it is. It's insane. So when you're going against that plus the 32 from KD plus the 22 from Kyrie, you can blame it on Coach Bud all you want, but you're also just playing a, a superior team. Yeah, and, and the second that, that the Nets – I thought the Nets would make the, the finals with KD and Kyrie. Yeah. When, when they first got them, I thought it was over – in the East anyway, as soon as they got Harden, I said, this is, they're going to win the championship. Um, I mean, even if they, even if the Lakers had been healthy and played the Lakers, I think the Nets still would have won. Um, but you know, one interesting thing about Milwaukee and it's funny because, and I, I keep referring back to the Mavs, but I'm still salty about what no, happened. Go ahead. <laughs> um, it, it's funny because a lot of people talk about the, the reliance on one superstar, mm-hmm. right. And, and people are talking about, getting Luca a second, a second guy, you know, and, and what happened to Porzingis and et cetera, et cetera. And we can talk about that another time, but I, I look at Milwaukee and they paid Chris Middleton a lot of money, but people forget Chris Middleton was not a highly touted draft pick. Chris yeah. Middleton was a developmental project uh, that the Bucks developed. And then he had an all-star season. He had an, you know, they, they paid him. Did he deserve it? Absolutely. But you know, he, he's not, you know, is he the second star that needs to fit alongside? Yeah, I mean, Giannis re-upped last year, signed that Supermax, and Milwaukee went out and got Middleton back, traded everything for Drew Holiday, signed him to an extension, and they're really failing Giannis right now. It's just playoff mediocrity year after year. And they go out and they put all their cards on the table and they get Holiday and they entice Giannis to sign and Chris Middleton at the beginning of the season, oh my God, he is the second best player on a amazing. championship team. And then Dante DiVincenzo goes and gets hurt. And now all of a sudden, you have no depth at point guard. You have no bench depth. Where are you getting this extra production from? And then it's the same thing year after year. It's, it's an interesting discussion, and, and it really does actually relate well to Porzingis because the Mavs could have the same type of offseason. And then in the playoffs – Things just switch, and it's just a different beast. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that Budenhauser should be excused for any of that, or even Giannis isn't playing as well in the playoffs year after year as he does in the regular season. But something about this Bucks team's—it's truly just odd how this continues to happen year after year, and they can't get over that hump. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, Giannis is, is a 
you know, is a beast unto himself. I he's mean, a the guy's, transcendent player. Yeah. Absolutely. The guy's a phenomenal player. And, and, and you put a defensive specialist like Holiday next to him who can knock down threes, exactly. you know, the perfect kind of guy who can, who can catch. I mean, every team would love to have a guy like Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's something about, like you said, show, coming to, to postseason games and just not showing up. And I, I, I don't get it. And the difference now is that the thing on Budenhauser has always been playing the starters more. So, okay, mm-hmm. he starts to play the starters more. But now, even if these guys get past the Nets, which I don't think they will, they're going to be gassed for the Eastern oh, yeah. Conference Finals. And then they're going to be even more gassed for the NBA Finals were they to get there. So it, it really is a lose-lose compounded with the fact that they can't shoot to save their lives. Yeah, and, and I think the loss of DiVincenzo hurts. I mean, that yeah. guy seemed, you know, I, I don't watch the Bucks very often, but just watching, you know, some of their games, I mean, he seems like one of those core glue guys, right? The guy that kind of motivates people and, and the guy that, you know, defensively, you know, has gotten a lot better over the last year or two. Um, and, and losing him hurts me. That's another guy. That's another defender you can put on Kyrie or put yeah. on whichever Nets shooter is hot. And, and I don't know what they're going to do if Harden comes back in the series. Um, then, I mean, you know, you think it goes to six. You know, I, I would say five maybe. But yeah, if Harden comes back, I could, I could see the Nets sweeping. Yeah. It's, I could certainly see it happening. And, and DiVincenzo is totally one of those guys. You don't realize how important he is until he's not there mm-hmm. anymore. And now the Bucks have no options. Yeah. So I hope I would like to see. I'm not a Bucks fan. I have no affiliation to them, but I would like to see the Bucks do well in the playoffs, just because they've been working so damn hard to get there, and things keep getting in their way. But let's shift to Hawks Sixers, and then we'll end with Suns Nuggets, which I think is a really good series. It's becoming the Trey Young show, and actually, I hadn't thought about this right now with the whole Doncic connection. I thought Hawks Knicks. I watched every single minute of that series. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Didn't watch Hawks Sixers live, and I honestly didn't feel too much of a pull to because it was a blowout at times. Sixers were able to bring it back. It's another schematic nightmare, basically, because you think you put all this work, you put all this practice into setting up defensive game plans where you shut Trey down. And then you have Kevin Herter coming off the bench and making three threes. You have excuse me, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who all of a sudden has turned into the saving grace in Atlanta and a guy they need to lock down forever because it's going to be Bogdanovich and Young for years and years and years. You didn't, they didn't even have DeAndre Hunter didn't play in game one. John Collins, you could keep going down the list. It was a crime that Ben Simmons didn't play on Young sooner in the game. I think that drastically changes him things. But if the Hawks are going to make 23s, it doesn't matter who they're playing. How do you game plan against that? It, it's tough. I mean, Philly is a great team. Um, I, I, with a healthy Embiid, um, totally. you know, I think they're a, different, they're a completely different, different roster. They're a completely different team. Um, Philly, I, I don't know why everyone is normally so high on them. I, I personally am not a Ben Simmons fan. Um, I, I know I understand the skill set and I, I understand what he brings to the table, but I don't think him and Embiid work. Mm. Um, I, I've, I've said for a long time, I'm surprised that Philly did not trade Simmons for Harden. I think Harden and Embiid would have been a fantastic that fit. A, yeah. Um, Those talks have quieted a little bit since Harden was traded, but I mean, they were rampant a couple of yeah. months ago. I, especially with, with Daryl Morey as their GM. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, th- right. I thought it was, a, it was an obvious kind of, you know, 
Darmoy leaving Houston and then bringing Harden with him, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, all right, well. Um, Set up beforehand. Yeah, I, I just think, I, I don't know why. Philly just seen you know, Atlanta, Atlanta has so much ball movement and so many young athletic guys. And Philly plays at a much slower pace, it seems like. Um, so, you know, when they go up against the Milwaukee, who also plays a slower pace, right, with Giannis kind of getting into position and, and backing people down and kicking the ball out, Philly can be really, really effective. But when you've got a team like Atlanta that's just slinging the ball all over the court, you know, from one corner to the other, and you've got Trey Young who, who is, you know, you talked about the Doncic connection. I, you know, looking, obviously now you can say it's a win-win for both teams, yeah. right? I mean, at the time people were saying, and I would still take Doncic any day of the week over mm-hmm. Trey Young just Me too. for the skill set. But team-wise, Travis Slink has done an absolutely amazing job at building that roster. And that's where the Mavericks have failed. Yeah. is putting people around your superstar to succeed. Um, you, you know, the, the Hawks identified what Trey Young's weaknesses were, what his strengths were, and built that team in a very short time around him, right? They bring in De- uh, Danilo Gallinari. They bring in Bogdanovich, who should be a buck, but they, <laughs> you know, screwed the pooch on that one. Yeah, exactly. Um, Looking now on what Bogdanovich could be doing on Milwaukee. It would have been amazing. Gotta right? hurt, yeah. Um, you bring in Clint Capella, who was – shuffled out of Houston like he mm-hmm. didn't matter right um and he's been he's been great for that team um their their front office has done a phenomenal job of building that roster I'm I I thought they would beat the Knicks I didn't think they stood a chance against Philly uh, but after that game I mean I, I could see this one I could see them pushing this I think it's all going to depend on Embiid's health yeah if Joel Embiid comes back I think the Sixers can win the series um was- if Sorry, finish. Go ahead, finish. Oh, I was just going to say, if, if Embiid is out, uh, th- there's a very realistic chance that you'll see the Hawks in the, in the conference finals. I could, it was so concerning to me to see Embiid put up 39 points and for the Hawks to squeak mm-hmm. out this game. And they were up 26 at one point, 20 at half. What more does Embiid have to do? I, I, I can't imagine a situation where he has to do anything more. Plus he's playing on this torn meniscus. I couldn't believe he was playing anyway. I can't imagine him playing every single game in the series. I just don't think his body can do that. Yeah. I completely agree with everything you said. The Hawks look like the winners right now because the front office has done such a good job building around Trey. It doesn't at at this point, it doesn't even have anything to do with the talent between Trey Young and Luka Doncic. It's just the way that the executives have built around them. And that's why the Hawks look so good. I can see this core being good for years and years and years. I mean, there, I, Gallinari is probably the oldest guy on that roster. Trey Young is, what, 20, 23? It's insane. And the fact that they're even putting up a fight against the maybe first or second best team in the East, depending on what, how you feel about the Nets, I couldn't believe it. I, I have a, a, a crazy stat for Trey Young. He's the first Hawks player in franchise history to have at least 35 points and 10 assists in a playoff game. He's also the first player since Lou Alcindor to score at least 30 points in each of his first four road playoff games. It's amazing. Watching what he did first in New York with the the Mm -hmm. shivering and the quieting the crowd, that was insane, and then taking the bow at the end. Now to go into Philly, which has arguably just as bad of a home crowd, I that just came to my head right now. I mean, Philly, you could even argue that Philly is worse than New York. I absolutely love what Trey Young is doing. It's, yeah. it's just pure entertainment to watch. 
And it's funny because you don't, when you see an NBA team make a head coaching change in the middle of the season, yeah. it's, you never, I don't, I can't remember the last time that's ever panned out, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you know, you, you switch head coaches midway through the season and it's okay, well, let's figure out how this works and, and how do we mesh. Nate McMillan has done just a fantastic job. And I think he's got, he's got the buy-in of Trey Young. Mm. Um, he's Trey Young's gone from trying to be Steph Curry um, and, and, you know, Steph Curry on the playground was what I mean, like jacking up r- ridiculous threes yeah, to logos. really, yeah. to really understanding the game. And, and he's really, you see him making better passes. You see him getting his teammates involved a little bit more. Um, yeah. And, and to your point, I mean, they can keep this roster, you know, around for a long time. They're going to have a tough decision about, you know, do they match whatever offer John Collins gets? Yeah. Um, Cause he's going to be sought after by a lot of teams. Uh, but I, I, everybody else is locked up, locked down. I mean, everyone else is is pretty much there for another two, three years. I think Gallinari runs out after next year as well. So, uh, I mean, this is a team that's only going to get stronger as they grow older, and they're yeah. going to be a force in the East for a lot of years. Yeah, I totally agree. And there, there's so much harmony there. Uh, McMillan doesn't even get the credit that he deserves, and he's getting a lot of credit. I think it's even more. It's almost like a Washington national situation, except they didn't mm-hmm. hire their head coach. They were <laughs> 19 and 31. They come back and win the world series. The Hawks were 14 and 20, I think when they had, when they fired Pierce. And now all of a sudden it's sky's the limit. I still take Philly in this series and it all depends on, on Embiid. I think they're going to come out. Game two is on Tuesday. Hawks up one, nothing. I think they come out. I definitely think they win at home. They figure out a way to stop Trey young. They put Ben Simmons on him immediately and then they just hope that the perimeter shooters don't play as well. And they definitely need more from, from Danny Green and Seth Curry. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think they've got to get Matthias Tybal more involved. Yeah. Uh, he is another really, really good defender for the Sixers. I mean, they've got, they've got the pieces to pull this out, and they've got the pieces to defend Atlanta. But like you said, if Embiid's out, I mean, it changes the whole series. I mean, that's, yeah. their, that's their bread and butter right there is, is Joel Embiid. And meniscus hairs are, are – even though you can play on them, I mean – they're no, they're no joke, and especially right. for a guy like Embiid who's had injury issues in the past, he, he's got to be a little more cautious about how many minutes he's playing. I totally agree, and, and that's always a concern for him, which is really unfortunate. I think the transition game is going to be huge, and you mentioned that because even, even without him, with or without him, the way that Trey Young is able to put defenders on skates, it's just it's highlight reel after highlight reel. They continue to push that pace, and they just make Philly uncomfortable. And not a lot of teams did that in the regular season, make Philly uncomfortable on defense. Mm-hmm. So that one will be exciting just to watch Trey Young, period. And then the last one, this has been the most surprising to me, I guess, at this point, is Suns Nuggets. I don't want to give myself too much credit, but I thought the Suns were going to beat the Lakers, and it's mostly just because LeBron James and AD were not full health. I didn't. I agree, I agree with you. I made a bet with a buddy that Suns would win in seven, even if LeBron and AD were playing. Love that. It, if, if they were both fully healthy, because them playing and them being healthy are still two different things in this series specifically. I think it's going to come out in a couple of years that that ankle injury that James had was just insane and how he even played through it, it was, at, at all was crazy. But the Suns are a force, and now Chris Paul looks much healthier. He's breaking records at his age. Mikael Bridges had a team-high 23 points. Devin Booker only scored 21, and it didn't even matter. But the matchup that I was most surprised with and thought was the best was 
DeAndre Ayton versus Nikola Jokic. Ayton had 20 and 10 and limited Jokic to 22 and nine rebounds, but the most noteworthy stat, three assists. For the NBA MVP who got named Tuesday night league MVP, which was really just the formality of it at this point, he had 8.3 assists in the regular season. The Suns limited him to three in game one, and that's why the Nuggets got blown out. Phoenix was, I think, the most underrated team all year. Um, They're like two for crying out loud, and all these people are betting against them. And it's Paul brought just such a completely different identity to this team. Um, I mean, Phoenix has been, it feels like Phoenix has been picking the lottery since Steve Nash left (laughs) and, and have just made bad pick after bad pick. And then, you know, they come in and they draft Devin Booker, who was the last Kentucky player taken in that draft. I think that was the one where they had four or five first rounders. Um, They take DeAndre Ayton, who has just grown into a monster uh, in the playoffs. Um, You know, Mikel Bridges, who, who I've always said is, is the guy I want on the Mavs more than Mm. anybody in the league. Um, because I think he is the prototypical three and D he's a young, I think he's 23, 24 Villanova guy, you know, all those Jay Wright disciples are, are fantastic NBA players. Um, and Monty Williams, I mean, that coaching hire was just phenomenal. Um, and the way he's gotten that team together and the leadership of Chris Paul, and and I'll give you this'll you'll, you'll know this. I mean, cause you're, you're, you know, the big, um, you know, big baseball fan, the Suns did what San Diego is doing, what the Padres are doing in the NL. Um, you know, they got their young superstar in, in Fernando Tatis Jr., right? The Suns have Devin Booker. You start putting all these little pieces around him. When you're about to get to that point where you feel like, all right, we've got the core, we've developed our core, let's go out and let's make these deals. What did the Padres do? They go out and they get you Darvish, Blake Snell. A couple of years ago, they get Manny Machado, right? So there's who are they going to get, you know, at the deadline this year, right? They need outfield help. So the Suns developed Devin Booker. They could have, they could have kept tanking and kept, you know, trading away pieces and stuff, but they developed Devin Booker. They developed, they developed Andre Aiden. They put their faith and they trusted them. And then you bring in a veteran guy like Chris Paul, who kind of, you know, puts the icing on the cake for this team. Uh, and they, they are just phenomenal. I mean, they're so much fun to watch. Um, they've, everybody on that team, it feels like has taken another step, uh, you know, this season, even their bench unit. I mean, Cameron Payne was an afterthought. He was a summer league guy for so many teams, even for the Mavericks. And he never got signed. Phoenix took a flyer on him and now he's knocking down threes off Chris Paul assists. And so that it's, it's going to be a very, very fun series to watch, um, that the loss, and we've talked about it a lot, the loss of Jamal Murray really, really hurts Denver. I think they're tired from the Portland series. Um, I I think that double OT game, it took more out of Portland than it did Denver, but I think running around and chasing Damian Lillard all game long um, is, yeah, it doesn't help. Um, And, you know, I I agreed with you. I said Phoenix will win against the Lakers. I could see them pulling this off against Denver. If they can limit Nikola Jokic, I mean, then Denver's really banking on Michael Porter Jr. to go crazy. And I don't know if he's ready yet. Yeah, I think if Jamal Murray was in this picture, it would be different and it would be the three-headed monster. And it puts less pressure on Porter, who seems to always, I don't know, maybe he misses the big moments. But I absolutely love the Padres comp. That is literally perfect. And it started with even a guy like Eric Hosmer years ago. They just slowly Mm -hmm. 
put the pieces together and that's what makes the Suns so successful. They didn't rush it. They let a guy like DeAndre Ayton develop and become the player that he is. Devin Booker was pretty elite from the beginning, but Bridges, he was that draft day trade. He was supposed to go to the Sixers. I would love to see Brunson and Bridges together in Dallas too. That would be Thank pretty you. cool. That, I, I made that trade in 2K earlier, so I'm, love I'm trying to go through my Mavs <laughs> offseason now. <laughs> yeah, it's there are just so many weapons on that team that are – scrap heap might be a little harsh because nobody was certainly – labeling bridges as as a scrap guy but just making moves that no other front office was making and now they're so successful now and tom thibodeau won coach of the year it easily could have gone to monty williams too uh i think another big piece sorry another big piece for phoenix is jay crowder i mean jay crowder is a guy that had two offers before he signed with phoenix it was phoenix and dallas and dallas could a starting spot and so he took phoenix's offer um and, and the way he's meshed, he's always been a very good clue guy. He's always been a guy who can knock down a, a corner three. Um, you know, he's, he's played out of his mind as well. Yeah, it's for all these matchups that we've talked about, we basically had two options. You either put all your efforts into stopping Trey and then you let Trey Young and then you let the perimeter shooters get you down. And that was to Philly's detriment. You do the same thing with uh, Jazz Clippers. You play small ball. You try and mix things up, and then maybe somebody like Bogdanovich has a good game and torches you. It seems obvious to me for Suns Nuggets. You obviously try to eliminate Jokic to the best of your ability. Aiton got the win in that category in game one, and you saw the results. Without Murray and with Porter scuffling the way he is, it's, it's a no contest. If you eliminate Jokic, I think the Suns come away from this easy of course it's no easy feat to eliminate Jokic he was the MVP for a reason I think he rebounds in game two especially but this one seems a little more simple to me as in you don't have Will Barton um Monk is coming back I believe or Morris I'm sorry Morris is coming back but the Nuggets just don't have the weapons that a lot of these other teams do and I think that spells a an early loss or not a deep run in this playoffs yeah, and and without like you said, without Jamal Murray, I mean, you know, losing your second best player is always tough, right? right. You saw what happened with with the Lakers and, and losing Anthony Davis and LeBron James throughout the year, right? I mean, they just they completely faltered. Uh, you know, we've seen it with a bunch of other teams too. Losing your second best player always hurts. This is a, a two superstar league now, um, where you can't just have one guy who's who's carrying the reins. Right. Portland is not a good defensive team by any means, and so you know, Nikola Jokic going crazy on, on Nurkic um, and Michael Porter Jr. having 25 in the first half mm-hmm. is not surprising. Phoenix knows how to play defense. Phoenix has a lot of good wing players who can, who can guard Denver's secondary guys. So, um, you know, if I'm Phoenix, if I'm Monty Williams, I'm doing everything I can, like you said, to stop Nikola Jokic. If you do that, Phoenix could easily win this series. Yeah. I think I think Phoenix. We pretty much agreed on all of them. So we said just to recap: Phoenix and seven. Do you think? Are you going to say that the Nets are sweeping four? I'll say five. I'll say okay. gentlemen sweep because I think there's one fifty-point Giannis game that's coming. Yeah. Um, I just think out of anger, but that's that. <laughs> Whatever I can't works. See. Wins a yeah. win. <laughs> I'll say Nets six. Uh, we both said Clippers seven, right? Correct. And then Sixers and six. Depending on Joel, that's the hard, that's the really, really tough one for me. 
Um, I, I'll say Sixers and seven. I, I think okay. I think that goes seven. I'm I'm really happy that a lot of these series are going seven games because it just yeah. means more like phenomenal basketball, and so it's just a fun time. The star power right now is kind of astounding and and pat and i talk about all the time to bring it back to the mlb too like for all of the complaining that's going around about the quote-unquote unwritten rules and how bad of a state the offense is and all that the young core of baseball is absolutely electric with the players you have you have acuna soto um tatis his name just slipped out of my head and then in the minor leagues like bobby witt jr and, and wander franco all these guys it's insane if you go you could go through the same exact list with all of these matchups right now, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, Kawhi, it doesn't matter who gets eliminated. There are always these players that are stepping up. And I'd love to see a Jamal Murray bubble-like performance or a team like Miami last year in the bubble resurfacing. I don't know who these, who those candidates are, except maybe for the Hawks. And even though the Jazz were the best regular season team, there have always been questions about how they're going to translate that to the playoffs. But yeah, I, I don't know if, any of these series could be in any better spots than they are right now. If Bucks Nets is the quickest game or the, the most blowout, we're in a pretty good spot. That's a lot of good basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think right now, especially after last year, you know, the bubble and, and I think people are tired of, of, you know, we had Clippers or excuse me, we had Cavs warriors for long. We had, we've had LeBron every year in the finals for what's, you know, what seems like an eternity. I think, yeah, you know, ha- not having, you know, that kind of star power. And, and keep in mind, this was a very short season, right? I mean, we, we, games were reduced. It was only 71 days uh, from the bubble to the start of the season yeah. this year. So a lot of these players that generally need rest in the offseason and, and need that six-month break didn't get it, and we're seeing the effects of it now. Uh, but it's opening the door for, for other teams to kind of step in and, and realize their potential and see what, what pieces they have moving forward. And I think it's, a, I think it's fantastic for the game of basketball. I totally agree. I'm trying to find a graphic I saw on Instagram. I'm not going to be able to find it now just as we're talking, but it, there have been four teams in the finals for the last 20 years or something like that. And this year we'll get a different team oh and God. some, some combination of LeBron James and Steph Curry have been in the finals for 10 years. And finally we're getting something different. I read an article about the changing of the guard and I think we're seeing that a hundred percent, but before we go, I have to ask you, because you mentioned it, and it doesn't have to be a super long-winded answer, but what are the Mavs' plans this offseason and what to do about Kristaps Porzingis? Glad you asked. So I'm, <laughs> I'm actually recording a podcast about this tomorrow, and, I've, I, and I might change my mind by that time. Yeah. So we'll see. But, okay, so I watched the series, and it, it looked like there was a lack of trust from – Mavs players to Porzingis. Hmm. I, I understand the deal that was made at the time, right? You're getting a guy that arguably was, I mean, Kevin Durant called him the unicorn. That's where the yeah. nickname came uh, from. Absolute star in New York. Yeah. Um, and he played fantastic in the bubble last year until he tore his meniscus um, and, and had to go out. I mean, he was torching the Clippers last year. Um, the scheme that Rick Carlisle ran, and I think that's why a lot of people are, are upset with Carlisle, was just a five-out scheme. And, and it was the same scheme that he had Jason Kidd running when Kidd was the point guard in Dallas, except you had Dirk Nowitzki. Um, it was literally everyone stand on the perimeter, let Luca drive in. As soon as he gets double teamed, kick it back out. Well, the problem was Ty Lue made those adjustments to come have somebody still guard Luca and 
or Kawhi to guard Luca, and then that other person run back out. There were no created shots for Porzingis. Very rarely was he. Did it look like he was in the game plan, or very rarely did it look like anybody was in the game plan? I think the Mavericks keep Porzingis, uh, and I, I feel like the reason why is number one, you invested a lot, giving up the two first round picks, yeah. right? The players I think are insignificant at this point, but this is the first full off season that he's going to have That's in true. three years. Um, we've seen players come back from injuries. We've seen what happened to Joel Embiid when he's had time to rest and come back. I'm not saying Porzingis is Joel Embiid by any stretch of the imagination, but if you give the guy time to fully work on his game in his exit interview, he had a really good quote where he said, I understand now how things are different. You know, the way I played in New York versus what they want me to do here. So, you know, if anybody needs to get fired, it's Donnie Nelson, the GM, because he's done a horrendous job of putting people on this team. But I think you're going to see relatively the same Mavericks roster next year. I think they bring back Porzingis for sure, just because you can't get any value for him. If they flip him, it'll be the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, the big question is, does Tim Hardaway Jr. come back? And I think mm-hmm. that's really dependent on who hits the free agent market, who agrees to sign with Dallas. Um, otherwise, you know, you're looking at smaller pieces to come in, maybe a Rashawn Holmes, maybe a Norman Powell. Um, guys like that who can come in and be defensive anchors uh, around Luca and KP. And I think Luca's got a lot to work on in his game, just, you know, trusting his teammates and really not carrying the load. And again, conditioning uh, and free throw shooting as well. Yeah, free throw shoot. That's what I was going to say. So it seems like some positives are at least Porzingis is aware. Hopefully you have some sort of front office, if not shake up, then awareness that what they have been doing is not working they were the five seed with this roster. Luca is still Luca. What concerns me is the first thing you said is, is the lack of player trust to put the ball in Porzingis' hands. And maybe it'll just take the full offseason to do that and just more meshing. Hopefully next year is a seemingly normal season without any COVID restrictions and things just continue to, to get better. You saw it in Utah and look what happened. Exactly. And People forget that Luca and KP have not played that many games together. Yeah. And a lot of that is, is Porzingis' health. I mean, this year he came back, you know, the season we, you know, I said it earlier, was 70, the off season was 71 days, yeah. right? The, you're talking what, two, two months in a week. I mean, that's not a lot of time for people to recover. Porzingis didn't play the first month of the season because he was recovering. And then in some way was rushed back. The NBA season was supposed to start in January, started in December instead. Um, you know, Luca was was out of out of shape coming into the season. So, a good healthy offseason, I think, is really going to allow for, like you said, that meshing between the two players, and then also to finally get some some well deserved rest and and hopefully some soul searching for a lot of people. Yeah, there are so many unquantifiable factors with all of the COVID restrictions and the rest and the short offseason that I don't think quantify into the the win loss record or how teams play together. They just need the, the rest, A, and B, the full off season in per. I mean, how many teams were able to have in-person bonding? It doesn't seem like there was any of that. At least in, in baseball, they weren't able to have that. So there's just so much stuff. But I think the Mavs are a fun team to root for. I, th- I hope they continue to build around Luka the way that they should. And I agree with you. I think they keep Porzingis. If nothing else, then to part ways with him at this point, you already invested. What's the point? Maybe at the deadline but they could just continue to build upon where they are. And they were the five this year. So, Yeah, I mean, you know, 
people and you can look at message boards and Twitter and stuff and people are calling for Porzingis' head. I mean, my, my whole thing is what are you going to get for him yeah. at this point? I mean, you're not, I don't want Kemba Walker back. Right. right. I mean, that's the big name that's floating out there, but I don't think Kemba's a fit next to Luca. No. Um, I don't, you know, people are saying Miles Turner from, from Indiana and he's a Texas guy, but I don't, I don't see how he moves the exactly. anymore. Porzingis does. I mean, a healthy Porzingis with Luca is, a fantastic duo. I mean, they were the highest scoring duo in the bubble last year mm-hmm. in the playoffs. So when, when he was healthy. So, you know, when, when, when you get into this off season, if Carlisle and KP and, and Luca can figure out a way to scheme this all together, figure out what worked in last year's bubble and keep forcing his healthy, the sky's the limit for this team, yeah. to be honest. And, and, you know, they, they'll come into next year after next year with, with a loads of cap space, um, you know, and, and we'll see what, we'll see what happens at that point. Yeah, and you said it perfectly. It's, it's making moves that are going to move the needle, not just because Porzingis had a bad series and they need to make changes. Let's not overreact to all those people on Twitter. But exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at what you said because I, I think that's very positive and I like ending on positive notes. <laughs> but make sure to go check out Shanavaz's podcast, Metroplex Mania. You can find him on Twitter, at Mr. McConney. Shanavaz, thank you again. Always fun to talk with you and i'm glad we were able to do an nba playoffs we got a lot of good stuff going on yeah i'm i'm very very happy thanks i'm i love being on i can't wait to do it again awesome all right well thanks again sean of us for coming on always awesome to to talk basketball and baseball with him we mentioned we were able to get a bunch of baseball references in there which is always funny i'm gonna Pull it to baseball now for my number of the week. And I'm putting a bow on the walk-off that Pat and I dropped on Friday when we previewed both the Cubs-Giants series and the Red Sox-Yankees series. Just as a side note, both of those series were incredible. Boston Red Sox especially. As a Red Sox fan, obviously, I was ecstatic with the three-game sweep. It was the first time since 2011 that the Red Sox swept the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Barack Obama was president at that time. Rolling in the Deep was the number one song. Some cool stats that I saw about that. But the craziest number I heard this week is 33. And that is because as of the end of the series, the Yankees have now scored three or fewer runs in 33 games this season. The juggernaut New York Yankees, the evil empire, currently set as of Tuesday night as I'm recording at 31 and 29, six and a half games behind the Rays for first place in the AL East. Their recent slump put them in fourth place. The Blue Jays jumped them. The Red Sox are only half a game behind the Rays. It's still a four game race. And I'm not saying that the Yankees don't have it in them when Luke Voigt comes back, when Giancarlo Stanton finally starts to hit, when they pick somebody up at the trade deadline. And that is a when, not an if, and it's an outfielder. I'm not saying they can't pull things together. I still think it's the best division in baseball. But as they keep losing, seven games seems like a lot to overcome. Eight games seems like a lot to overcome. And the Rays and Red Sox aren't slowing down anytime soon. So that's three or fewer runs in 33 of the 60 games this season. First time since 1972 
that they've scored three or fewer runs in 33 or more games. On the flip side, the Boston Red Sox, the team that everybody counted out, they didn't have the pitching. We were The Red Sox were on a rebuild after letting go of Mookie Betts and David Price. Haim Bloom wasn't the guy. All this negativity, the Red Sox sitting at 37-23, and 23, just a half game behind the Rays, have scored three or more runs in 41 games this season. So how about that? Preseason expectations aren't everything. Injuries come up. That's the biggest thing. But you also see overperformances. And that is exactly what has happened from this Red Sox rotation. The Red Sox bullpen was incredible against the Yankees. You saw lights out performances from Josh Taylor, Hirokazu Sawamura, Adam Adovino was great. Matt Barnes got the real luck of a ball that misses missed 4.55 inches out of the zone. But everything came together. Red Sox swept the Yankees. They have a ton of momentum going into their series against the Astros. And the Yankees at this point are just scrambling. It's not on Aaron Boone. I'm still not calling for Aaron Boone to be fired. But something has to change. And that is on the player's to start playing better baseball. Three or fewer runs in over half of their games this season. Never would have expected it from the New York Yankees. So I'm so glad I was able to get an NBA pod in here. Playoffs, as I mentioned with Shauna Vaz, I'm so happy truly with the state of the NBA right now and the players we have. It is so similar to the state of baseball. Pat and I talk about it all the time, just how many stars we are luckily able to watch. It's so awesome. So That'll wrap up the episode this week. As always, make sure to tune in on Friday for a weekly walk-off that Pat and I will record. We'll be back to to regular programming. Pat has been away from a week. Our schedules have been kind of off, so that's why him and I haven't been able to regularly, regularly record together. But we're back this Friday. Super excited to bring some MLB action. Make sure to Follow and subscribe wherever you are listening. The number one thing you can do to help us and our show is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Really helps us out, means a lot to us. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Did You Hear Pod. Tune into Weekly Walk Off on Friday. And for now, that's a wrap. <laughs>